Accutron Watches present. From New York City, this is the Accutron Show, a time travel through American culture with your hosts, Bill McCuddy, Scott Alexander, and David Graver. Visit AccutronWatch.com and discover the brand that has made American history with an all-new proprietary next-generation electrostatic energy movement. Accutron. It's not a timepiece. It's a conversation piece. But why weren't they spending money on watches? They weren't being marketed to. Men were being marketed to, largely. So suddenly now, women are being marketed to. And you you are seeing a shift. You're absolutely seeing a shift. The person you heard at the top of the show is today's guest. She's an editor, writer, and founder of the platform What's On Her Wrist. Barbara Palumbo is here to talk about women and watchmaking. But first up, I'm Bill McCuddy, along with Scott Alexander and editor David Graber, here for a brand new episode of The Accutron Show. It's right on time. Stay tuned. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, accutronwatch.com, and discover our iconic Space View 2020 collection, recreating the stunning visual impact of the original open dial design combined with an all-new electrostatic energy movement. Time just changed again. The Accutron Space View 2020. Who was the first influencer or blogger in the watch world? David Graver. David Graver was right. The cool hunting. How did I see cool hunting is 20 years old? Yeah, we just turned 20. We turned 20 on February 7. Uh, You look so happy about (laughs) (laughs) age. Congratulations. That's amazing. We all just keep getting older. Is is an incredible amount of time for an industry that's changing so fast. It's like there's constantly stuff to come up with. And also, like there's always new people nipping at your heels and cool hunting has sort of stayed fresh Tried this to whole stay, time. And, stay um, the course. Even now, everyone's 20, getting younger. 20 years ago, you have women that write for cool hunting yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, but 20 years ago in the watch world, very unusual to have women reporting on and really running uh, some of the watch companies and design, I guess we would call them design studios or the sort of the in-house design end of... And I think that's why a lot of women wear men's watches because there aren't a lot of watches for them. Well, you had women. No, there were watches made for women, but they were like not so functional. Yeah, Yeah. I remember like my grandfather always had these cool watches. They had like multiple, you know, complications on them, and he would they could do little weird tricks. And I would be like, "Oh, that's so cool!" And he'd like show me this whole thing, and he'd be like, "Oh, grandma has a watch too," and I'd be like, "Where is it?" (laughs) Like, like, literally these teeny tiny things where you're like, what? That's not useful to have. It's more like costume jewelry. It wasn't really like a functional piece of time telling. Barbara Palumbo sort of broke through the glass crystal, we'll we'll call it, for this conversation. (laughs) And she is going to tell us a little bit about, now you ran into her recently Uh, at uh, the big watch guru. At Watches and Wonders in Geneva. Yeah. We take a lot of our appointments together. We run into each other quite often at watch fairs. That's actually, we met at a watch fair. We met at Basel World in 2016. And these are conventions that all the watch manufacturers go to and show the new models. and, and To journalists and to buyers, um, to retailers, so that they can see what's next. It's an entire year's worth of watches that you get to touch and feel and like, play with. And what what else besides it's Graverland? That, it's Graverland. It's, 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 <laughs> it's the most like, magical experience. They it's all context. know him. It's so annoying. Right. <laughs> he can't go anywhere in the world. Um, and and what are some of the other big watch events over the years or over the course of a year that more is 
Yeah, what's the, that calendar look that's like? That's the granddaddy. Dubai so. Watch Week. Watches and Wonders also has a Miami iteration. Um, Dubai Watch Week also has a New York iteration. Um, there's Worn and Wound. Then there's the Wind Up Watch Fair. There are a lot. There, it's not... Basel World, may it rest in peace, uh, is no longer with us. But there are still so many fairs globally. Some of it's them... A, it's a circuit. Some of them uh, concentrate on lower-priced, sort of neat little niche brands, little collectible. There's a whole world out there of collectors who only spend up to $1,000 and try to uh, find the next, for Lenmari, the thing that was Do they still tell time when they cost less than 1000 <laughs> Yeah, they tell time for less than $1,000. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people have watches that they've had forever. Some people, uh, they don't collect. They just go to the store when the old one dies and they buy a new or one. Or trade it in. Yeah. You know, I'm really, trade it up. I'm really curious to know about the next generation, whether women are always going to wear men's watches and where you go to find out what's happening. And that's all going to happen when Barbara Palumbo is here. She's uh, got a huge social following. What's on her wrist is uh, is kind of her podcast. And, and it's her platform. And her platform. And so she's worn everything. And let's see if we can wear her down. Barbara Palumbo <laughs> on the Accutron show right after this. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, AccutronWatch.com, and discover our Accutron DNA collection. Reimagined for a new generation, the Accutron DNA combines breakthrough technology, precise engineering, and modern aesthetics to achieve a new level of technical excellence. The Accutron DNA, the new face of time, for those who blaze new trails. Barbara Palumbo is part of what's on her wrist. She joins us now on the Accutron show. Uh, Barbara, what was the very first watch you ever wore? Oh, ever wore. Oof, I don't know what I ever wore, but I know the first watch I ever owned. So can okay. I tell you that? Sure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, uh, <laughs> My my first ex-husband, and I have to differentiate now, uh, as a wedding gift, gifted me in 1999, the Bomber Mercier Hampton. Uh, and it was my first Swiss-owned watch. And on the back of it, he engraved for time and all eternity. Oh. Yeah, uh, and that, I wore that watch. Yeah, sweet. For right? a certain amount of time. I know. And a portion he, I of wore that For a certain amount of time. Apparently you two had a disagreement for, about the For a certain uh, amount of time eternity. And eternity. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, the funny thing is, I we we split and it was after 9-11 when we split. And so when I started traveling again post 9-11. They would. They were at the time for a brief period of time. You don't have to do it anymore. But you used to have to take your your watch off to go through the the um go through security, and I took that watch off and I left it accidentally in the security bin and I lost it. But the crazy thing is, I loved. No, it was accidentally because <laughs> I loved that watch. I loved the Hampton so much, and it was a quartz. But I just I love the design of that that '90s Hampton, and, and it had only been out for a couple of years. I think like maybe came out in '97. I love that watch so much that I rebought it, the oh, exact oh. same watch. But now I had bought it with my own money, and it wasn't engraved, and I still own it. I was gonna say that's an opportunity. You can still get still it engraved. It. Yeah, I on the back you it. could put <laughs> "Rest in Peace" and the husband's name. <laughs> <laughs> what made you fall in love with watches? Oh gosh. Um, so 
I, I'm a 27 year veteran of uh, the jewelry industry, jewelry and watch, largely the jewelry and watch industries. And I actually started as a bench worker. Uh, I was uh, a metalsmith's apprentice under three Armenian brothers on Philadelphia's Jewelers Row, which is Sansom Street. If you guys know anything about Philadelphia, it's the oldest jewelry district in the country. And throughout my, I think the first 20 years of my career, it was largely jewelry, jewelry. You know, we were, I was uh, carving waxes before CAD existed. And I was operating casting ovens and, and I really learned how to make jewelry from the inside out. And at the 20 year mark for me, which is, you know, again, I'm, I'm about to turn 50. So this is most of my adulthood. I thought, okay, I've done everything in, in the jewelry world. I, you know, I was, I sat at the bench. I worked as a metalsmith. I worked in retail sales. I worked in wholesale sales. I worked for big name jewelry designers. I traveled the country. I traveled the world, but I, there were a lot of retailers I worked for and I do trunk shows when I was, when I was, you know, out there as a, a brand rep and I would like pick the the brains of the Rolex reps and I would pick the brains of the Breitling reps and I would pick the brains of the Longines reps and the, and the Gégère reps. And little by little, I was like, God, I don't know. I don't know crap about watches, but yet there's this whole sort of Venn diagram where it's like, it's weird because the jewelry industry likes to believe that watches are part of them, but the watch industry is like, no, 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 no. Like they don't <laughs> want to be part of the jewelry industry. But there really is that, if there is that Venn diagram, there is that layover, that gray area. There is crossover. And I think Watches and Wonders this year thoroughly proved that with uh, the releases by Piaget and, and um, you know, Van Cleef and Cartier and everything. There, there is, a, they really are connected. And so I just, I started getting my hands on every book I could possibly find. You know, I read A Grand Complication. I uh, got a subscription to Revolution Magazine. I started reading anything written by, at the time, seven years ago, by Jason Heaton and and, um, Jack Forster. And I, I really, I was like, oh, wow, this is crazy. But I was also writing a jewelry blog at the time called The Door Mentality. And, um, which I wrote with humor. It was a humorous jewelry blog. And nobody was really doing that on the watch side, men or women. Hmm. And there were very few women writing about watches from from the American side. I mean, the ones who existed were obviously, you know, sort of like the old guard. They had they were here first and they had been doing it for 15 years longer than I had. But there wasn't someone at my age seven years ago that was really doing it. And there was nobody really doing it with with like a cheekiness and a sense of humor. And so... I think it was more, it was less about falling in love with watches than it was about falling in love with like the stories behind them and how to tell them in a more entertaining type way. So that was really, but in doing that, that made me fall in love with watches. Mm -hmm. So it was the concept that came along first and it was the concept that led me to really loving what it was I was studying and having to, to talk about but yeah, again, in, in sort of this like cheeky, you, so you know. You started out making fun of watches, then you fell in love. Not even making fun of watches. Like I, I've done uh, a couple of dictionary, like I've done like, you know, dictionary definitions for for the, for the more of the idiot than the idiot savant. Um, <laughs> so, you know, like how to, how to uh, explain analog. We don't even want to get into that because that <laughs> definition was horrific. But like things like that, where it was like, yes, it was not necessarily making fun of watches, but it was more making fun of how seriously mm. we take them. Right. Because you have your watch idiots of you have your Tim Massas, you have your Jack Forsters, you have these guys, you know, who are just the rain men of this industry. Mm-hmm. But you want a greater appeal. You want to be able to turn on 
you know, a, a, a middle-aged woman like me or a 30-year-old woman or, or, or you know, a, again, like a 25-year-old gay man or somebody, a, a more people of color. You've got to be able to expand yourself. And so I thought humor is... It, it expands every, like, you know, it's right. a wide, there's a wide Poking variety at the sort of, of stodginess of the attitudes or, or things like this. Cause you're right. Like, like there could be so much of a wider sort of reach for this, for the sure. industry. And there is now, there is now. And, and I'm very happy to see it. I'm very happy to see that, you know, um, gatherings that are, that are put forth by Complecto where they're really accepting of more women and, and people of color. Um, you know, I, I love seeing that. I think that I'm very, I don't want to say proud because I don't want to feel like I was at the beginning of it. But then there's also a part of me that does feel like, you know what? I, I, I definitely, somebody said to me in Geneva that I was the OG of the NG. And I said, what does that mean? They, <laughs> they said, you're the old guard of the new guard. So like, <laughs> but they were like, you're kind of like you're OG, but you really did kind of have this idea in mind that like, we really need to make this a lot more fun than we're making it and, and have it stop being about, you know, Ha, like just again, like hair springs and and it, like just just and there is a market for that. There there is a readership completely for the guys that follow those those you know folks that I mentioned earlier. You've seen so much growth, but what more can be done? What do you hope to see? Uh, you know, I I do hope. So my fear is with more and more brands themselves pulling away from mom and pop retailers and. Uh, you know, the the people who made them largely who they are. And I'm just talking U.S. at this point, okay? So I'm not talking necessarily, and I know Washington and Switzerland is part of, obviously they've come into the U.S. and everything and they own mares. And so they're largely here now. And Booker took over Tourneau. So like Booker has such a presence here now. But I'm talking about the companies like the London Jewelers, the Lee Michaels, the, um, you know, the Providence in, in South Florida. The guys who really, help to put a lot of these brands on the map. I'm sad to see some of these brands pull out of and open their own boutiques and sort of forget that these guys were, you know, that. So uh, what I, again, I think we're on the right path for women. I think we're on the right path for, for inclusion generally, just generally across the board. I think finally we're on the right path. I do think that there is, and I don't know if I get to say this now because I am older, but there is an ageist issue that nobody tends to talk about um, where we, cause now suddenly it's like young, young people, young people, young people, young women, 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 people of color, blah. But then you got the people like me over here going, hi, I, I still exist. Like <laughs> you, we can't forget that there are people who are middle-aged or older who are still, you know, buying washes. We want to just kind of like look at everybody generally. Um, but I, I do, I, I think what I would like to see is more brands stop. Like, I get it. You're opening brand boutiques and that's great for your brand. But a lot of these, a lot of these mom and pop retailers, man, these brick and mortar retailers, they were a large part of the reason some of these brands became what they were. And so I do, you know, I want to see them still continue to thrive. I know a lot of them personally, having come from being a road rep and, and now full in, I'm 27 years. I mean, literally the entirety of my adult life for the most part. Um, and I know these people and they're good people and I hate to see them be left behind just because, you know, the brands are, are like, oh, well, you know, we're really successful now. So we're just going to, we're going to open our own boutiques and we're going to stop opening doors for mom and pop real estate. I, I would mm-hmm. like to see yeah. that continue. There's what, there's so. a, the piece you, you talked about. In Guys, can of, I take it? Can I take a drink of my wine? It um, is. Yeah. It is please, a please, by all means, in the afternoon. It's <laughs> five o'clock somewhere. Here's to you. Um, 
the just to make this more interesting. You mentioned uh, you mentioned the inclusion factor being a big a big thing, which obviously you know mm. you can't until you're letting the barriers down to let you know more diverse people in. You're not going to get that. But is there from the other side? There's got to be. It feels like there's got to be also be the interest factor for women, sure. for people of color, for younger people, for all these things. Where does that come from? Where where is the, how can the industry sort of foment that interest in those markets? Well, I think there are there are a lot of um, younger younger folks right now who are helping with that. Now, I, you know, being a the gen, I'm a Gen Xer, and I think it probably at least two of the three of you on this panel are also Gen X. Am I correct? <laughs> or or just, just one? one. Just one Bill, Bill aspires to be. Are you Scott? You're a millennial. You're a millennial. No, I'm Gen X. Yeah, you're Gen X. Right. Oh, Bill's not Gen X? Man, buddy, you look great. Little, yeah. Thanks, baby. <laughs> you, look, you look great, honey. I'm telling you. All right. I'm going to tell you you're Gen X. All right. He's David's got, he's got his, uh, his flannel. He's, his, like three, uh, he's like three and a half years old. Look at him. He's just, he's the cutest thing ever on the planet. So, so I think, yes, of course, we, you know, we have this next generation of, of young people and people of color and young women who are coming in and they're going, you know, we're again, we're trying to make this fun. Um, I think what we're seeing a lot on that side is uh, celebrity, where they're pulling in mm, the celebrity aspect, sure. right? And that potentially is making people, it's like, okay, what what's on Rihanna's wrist? And what's uh, Queen Latifah wearing, which Queen Latifah is a, a huge watch collector. And, you know, so that's that's cool. And if that's something that gets more women interested in watches or more people of color interested in watches, who am I to say that that's right or wrong? That's great. If it gets somebody interested in watches, that's perfect. In the same way that I wouldn't diss an Apple Watch because I do feel that the Apple Watch was a good segue into getting people used to wearing something on their wrist. So I could never really knock the Apple Watch. I'll, I'll do it, was it for like, you. Okay. <laughs> no, go ahead. Dude, knock, knock it all you want. It's fine. Look, I have a lot of friends who work. Look at Adam Craniotis, the head of Red Bar, the founder of Red Bar. Indeed. This guy wears an Apple Watch on one wrist and a mechanical watch on another. I know so a lot of people th- There are do plenty that. of people out there who Well, that do gets that. to this, this point where you're comparing it with jewelry and these days, I mean, a watch, we, none of us need, we all have ways to know the time instantly. Right. Whether it's an yeah. Apple Watch or whatever it is, they're they're not for that anymore, really. Yeah, this I is mean, kind of an I, ongoing I conversation no, 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 it's, we it's have not here. About, yeah, we're yeah. talking about young uh, people. We're talking yeah. about Apple Watches and stuff, and we're we sort of on in an ongoing basis talk about this. It's a decision to wear a watch. Sure. But it's a decision to wear a pair of Louboutin shoes. It's a decision to buy exactly. an Hermes bag. Right. So the 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 key, and for me. And this is why I went it from the humor route. And believe me, I, look, I have a lot, again, I, I have a lot of connections through the jewelry world. And I cannot tell you how many messages over the years I got from jewelers, women jewelers, who said, for years I've owned the store or I've worked in the store. I was a salesperson at the store. And I never, ever, ever once thought about putting a watch on my wrist. I only was focused on what earrings or what necklace or what rings or what bracelets I was wearing. But you made me interested because you, you approached this in a way that was funny and interesting and you told stories and you and you went back through history and suddenly like for the last couple of years I've been wearing a watch I love to hear I live for that I live to hear those stories I think it's brilliant yes I uh it's it's a matter of turning the mindset and making women because women will and I'm gonna I'm gonna generalize here terribly but I will generally 
women might buy, and my gen, oh, let's put it this way. My generation of women would spend money on a bag. They would spend money on a pair of shoes. They would spend money on clothing. I know I did. Not bags, but shoes and clothing for me, huge. Completely spend money on that. But why weren't they spending money on watches? It, they weren't being marketed to. Men were being marketed to, largely. So suddenly now, women are being marketed to. And you are you are seeing a shift. You're absolutely seeing a shift. And it's also men who are interested in buying, where a man might buy somebody a pair of diamond earrings for an anniversary or a birthday. Men who actually are interested in watches might go, well, well hell, I want to buy, well, hoot. I want to buy, you know, my, my, my wife, uh, my wife, uh, uh, the matching Rolex to my Rolex. I want to buy her, you know, a presidential. I want to buy, buy her a date just, um, you know, or you'll be on the waiting list probably for a little while. But so, yeah, I think we're definitely seeing a shift in the way that we're just seeing a shift in gender roles, period. Mm-hmm. I mean, men are wearing, they're comfortable wearing gem set timepieces now. They're comfortable wearing, you know, I mean, men I saw wearing pearls mm-hmm. at Watches and Wonders. That made me so proud having a jewelry background. Wow. It was like, yeah, so we're seeing with gender roles becoming a bit more fluid, I think we're definitely seeing a change there. With the with the Gen Z and millennials coming in and going, I mean, they literally are our future. I mean, they're just yeah. I mean, if we're going to democratize so watches, we should be democratizing better. pearls at the same time, right? <laughs> I'm serious. Agree. We should pearls are very big for men right now, and it's yeah. it's, abs- Dude, it's abs- right? true. Even I don't get out enough. Yeah. Don't you I, feel got, like- I remember getting on the bus heading to the Polexpo uh, with an English journalist, Shane. I don't know if you know him, David, yeah. but he was wearing, he had a beautiful like pearl, he had like a pearl necklace on. And I was like, dude, I love, I just, Harry Styles. it's Harry now Styles gone from just Pharrell so Williams people. wearing them to Harry Styles, to just Pharrell and, and Harry Styles wearing them. So there's mm-hmm. your celebrity aspect to now like the everyday person or like the watch journalist was wearing. And I was like, yeah, man, rock on. Like, I, I love it. I love don't that. Don't you really feel did. like the watch industry has finally caught up for the longest time? A woman's watch was a smaller version of a man's watch with gems. Yeah. And now there are actual interesting options for women. Yeah. The shrink and pink aspect, right? I mean, that's the shrink and pink, right? So throw mother pearl dial on the same men's watch. And and it's always men who are designing it. And so and everybody just like hailed them like, oh, hail Caesar, hail Caesar. It's very, very Mel Brooks. Um, Yeah. So, but it was, it was BS. And look, not, I actually... I do come from the generation where I, I do prefer a smaller watch. And even though I'm tall, I'm, I'm five foot ten. I, I'm a I'm a I'm a big woman. Not big, big, but I'm a tall woman. So I could easily wear a 42 millimeter, but I'm honestly most comfortable in a 36. Uh, I have I have 30. I have like a Braemont Solo 32, which I really love. I have 34 millimeter watches. I have the Breitling Navitimer 35. I love that watch. I wear it to death. I have a, I also have a Navitimer 38. You know, I, I'm comfortable in that mid-30-ish range up to the 40-millimeter range. That's what I really like. But I like the fact that my Breitlings, have no, there's no gemstone, which is funny because I'm an April baby and diamonds are my, that's my birthstone. And I have plenty of watches that have diamonds. But the, one of the first watches I bought for myself was an Hermes Lure H and it's got diamond markers and I love it. So I ha- And it's quartz. So I have my quartz diamond pieces, but then I have my mechanical pieces and I have my microbrand pieces and then I have my reverso. And it's like, that's the, that's the difference is that the watch world. And I think largely the men coming from the watch world who were like the heads and the CEOs or the head designers or whatever, were thinking of, thinking of it like women like this. No, 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 no. Women like everything. 
Like in the same way, if you looked at every one of my boyfriends or lovers or husbands across my, the entity of my life, they all look different. You know what I mean? It's literally like different walks of life. I've had Frenchies, I've had Italians, I've had Turks, I've had tall, I've had short, I've had heavier, <laughs> I've had skinny. It's just like my watch collection completely, completely reflects my lovers. Right. I have a question. We spend so much time at watch fairs, at watch events, talking about watches. Do you ever get tired of having a geeky watch conversation? Uh, no, because I think I feel like, you know, gosh, honestly, David, think about it. Like, how many of those fairs do we attend over the course of the year? Now that Basel World's gone, right? It's like, okay, Watches and Wonders is the amalgam of it's it's the conglomerate. It, it's Basel World meets SIHH meets, but but minus Swatch Group, right? So like it is, okay, fine. So you're there. But for me, the reality is I don't like I go. I also go to Dubai Watch Week um, either in Dubai every other year or when they have horology form. I've been I've been blessed enough and lucky enough to have been asked to speak uh, five times. I was a moderator five times with them, which has been great. And it's coming up again in Dubai. So I have my fingers crossed that I get there again. But the reality is. I don't get to see, so the Americans, David, you and I might be on the same press trip, right? We might be on the same press trip with Adam or Justin or our North American colleagues, but I don't get to see my international colleagues a lot. And it is those places where you get to geek out with someone. Again, I, I think I talked about this in the Scottish Watches um, podcast that I just did, that which came out recently, where I was in the Cartier meet and greet, you know, and it's like 80, 80 plus novelties. You have 45 minutes to see everything, but I'm in there with like Nicholas, my friend, buddy Nicholas from Lebanon and, and Karishma from, from India and Joshua from Quillimpad and somebody else who's from Geneva. And it's like, I get to pick their brains, which is so interesting to me because what's selling in India is different from what's selling in Lebanon and what's, what brands are hot in Turkey, what brands are hot, you know, elsewhere. So I actually don't tire of it from the fair aspect, because it allows me to open my mind to, to not just being so U.S., not being so, you know, New York, Atlanta, Georgia, L.A., Miami, like in this tiny little, like my blinders are on, I'm a horse in the race and that's it. I get to actually go, well, tell, tell me, Karisha, in, in Mumbai, like what's your, what's a hot brand right now? Like what's a hot brand for the guys in the collector groups out there? And she'll tell me, or she'll say the retailers are doing re really well with this brand or whatever. So that's, I don't tire of it because I just feel like there's so few of these fairs that happen where I get to be in a more international community. And I don't know if you agree or disagree with me no, about that. I 100% agree. I definitely agree. Barbara, we so, uh, are excited that you never get tired talking about it and like to geek out on it. And we have lots more questions. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, there is more with, uh, the woman who uh, has something on her wrist and, and uh, a few things on her mind. Barbara Palumbo joins us back here at the Accutron Show in just a moment. Don't go away. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, AccutronWatch.com, and discover our legacy collection. Reviving some of the most memorable Accutron watches from the 60s and 70s, the Legacy Collection combines timeless design with the technical excellence of Swiss watchmaking, each limited to 600 individually numbered pieces. The Accutron Legacy Collection, inspired by the past, built for the future. Barbara Palumbo, welcome back to the Accutron Show. Thanks for uh, staying with us. And I guess uh, we want to get a little more into the history of 
of how women are getting involved in this industry because you were, as you said earlier, kind of the lone star for a little while. Uh, are there more and more women uh, as part of watchmaking and uh, and reporting? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, without dropping names, obviously there were, there were a handful of women who like to pride themselves on being, um, you know, the first, uh, women in the industry. And there were, you know, and again, you know, there were definitely a handful on the U S side. There are absolutely women who are reporting on watches, uh, in Europe and in Asia. And, you know, again, credit where credit is due. A lot of those women, you know, actually, I think like Tracy Ellowin from the UK, she's, she's tremendous. And she, she's like EIC, I think of the Telegraph and uh, talking about watches. I mean, a lot of these people were, were heroines of mine, you know, and people that I really looked up to. Um, but for me, I think one of the draws, because again, I could be cheeky and I could be funny, but one of the things that I'd like to do uh, for the month of March or during the, at least part of the month of March, unfortunately, March is watches and wonders. And sometimes I have to, I have to pick and choose because I am a one woman show. I I'm, I'm freelance. I write, you know, I have my own gig and I don't have a team. I don't travel with a team. I am my own team. Um, so when people say there is no I team, no, <laughs> but there, there isn't as to quote Kobe Bryant, there is an ME in that mother effer. So yes, I have to think about me when I think about my own team, because that is me. And, uh, so I, it's like, okay, you know, I'm, it's women's history month and that's March. And I'd like to always start on March 1st for, of women's history month with, highlighting a woman in the watch community that over history was important. And so every year of the last several years on March 1st, I always highlight Corey Ten Boom and Corey Ten Boom was there. There's uh, been a book written about her. I think there was a movie made. She was the first women watchmaker in uh, the Netherlands. And she, she and her father were watchmakers and they hid Jews under their, watchmaking bench during the Holocaust. So her story is incredible. And I always like to like tell her story on the first day of Women's History Month. And then I try every day and, and I definitely fail because again, between being a single mother of two children, two teenagers at this point and travel and, and watch some wonders and, and everything else um, that life throws at you, it's, it's tough to keep up every day. But I do try to focus on the history of women in the watchmaking world. Um, you know, there was a woman in Peoria, Illinois, who she she wasn't she had nothing to do with watches. She was a philanthropist, but she lost like all six of her children to illnesses and her husband to like a tragic accident. And she took the money and she started uh, a school for watchmaking in Peoria, Illinois. So I like to talk about her, and I like to talk about uh, the woman who ran Blanc who ran Blanc Pond for years, um, and then you know Elsa Peretti who clearly was, you know, she was designing watches when she was with Tiffany. So I, I try to sort of give any, cause I, you know, I've just shy of 10,000 followers on my watch Instagram and I have roughly 15,000 on my jewelry Instagram page. So the people who are out there who are paying attention and that's not just women, that's men and women don't know a lot of, of these stories. And so, you know, I, I did a, a deep dive some years back and I will repeat the stories every March, if I, if I'm able to, from a timing standpoint about a lot of these women, I mean, you know, there was like the first Swedish watchmaker, um, who never got married and her mother had to like sign off on her 
space to become a watchmaker because her mother was married, but she wasn't married. And so you weren't allowed to have a, like own property at the time in Sweden without having a husband. And so like her mother had to, her mother and father had to like sign off her property for her to become a watchmaker, but she had never gotten married. It was just like, she just wanted to be a watchmaker. And then one of the other women that I talk about, and, and you'll have to forgive me because off the top of my head, I'd have to go back in and actually look at their name out of New York, I mean, out of the States, Whitnauer watches, you guys know that I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure fairly, fairly well. Uh, I, the brothers were running the company and I believe had all passed away. And so the only member of the family that was left to run the company was a woman, was the sister. And so she ran, you know, she, she ran the company for a handful of years until it was, it was bought out. Um, you know, you have the Greenwich, again, GMT, Greenwich Mean Time, that there was a woman in England who sold time. She literally had, she had like the most perfectly timed watch according to the conservatory in England. And so she would go to places and sell them time. She sold time. She would say, there is no watch that's more accurate than this. I can tell you what time it is. You pay me X amount per month. (laughs) So yeah, all of these women like I've written about, and again, their, their names and their histories and the years, everything are mentioned just after doing some deep dive research. To me, that's also interesting. Like I love to be humorous. I love to be cheeky. I like to get fun with talking about watches, but there is also this appeal to me because I am a fan of history to know like who, who doesn't get enough credit, which women in this industry do not get the highlights that they deserved long gone, long past the majority of them, you know, but there are also ones that still exist today. I mean, there there remains a fact that JLC has a woman CEO and that's a huge thing for a Richemont brand. Um, You know, and the Piaget did, I know that they don't, they no longer do, but Piaget did. That was also like, you know, Shari, like when she came on board, we were like, yes, thank goodness. Like we want to see, obviously, you know, citizen group look at look at susan like we i live for that i love to see women at the helm of a brand because i know how hard women work and i know and again especially being a mother it's you know and a single mother now it's 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 not an easy task so i try to give credit where credit's due at least like all these women part of women's history month all these women who've worked in the industry it's remarkable that they don't get as much credit as as they should or as recognized as they should but it's do you think that has anything to do with this watches being this one kind of jewelry that men felt okay wearing. And they're like, yeah. I feel okay wearing it as long as a lady's not me. Right. <laughs> so, as long like, as we like, own it. Is, it. is there something about like <laughs> no, masculinity in that? Is that, is it, or is it just straight up old school, you know, uh, misogyny? I will, I will tell you, Scott, I don't ever, I don't think I've ever come across a man in my 27 years in, in either jewelry or watches that said, I won't wear it. I, I only wear watches because the lady isn't making it. That that's I don't think that's it's neither one here nor there. I think that's like a completely that's just like silly. Uh, what I think is just watches represent. It's oftentimes with men, their father wore watches or their grandfather mm-hmm. wore watches, and it's just something that represent. Look, a lot of these folks and, and myself included. You know, I come from a military family. My grandfather served in both World War One and World War Two. My mother's father. You know, this was a guy who, well, he wore a cheap watch and I didn't know him. He was passed long before I was born. But this was a guy I do like, you know, you wore a military type watch. So 
your fathers, your grandfathers likely were in some form of the service and what in some way, shape or form. And so they wore military watches or pilot watches. Or So we were used to kind of seeing that. And then it became, you know, the Seikos and the Casios and the digital watches. And I mean, my father wore, I would always call them drugstore watches, like CVS watches before CVS was even in a thing where you could go in and literally like take them off the you know, like, like you could take them off the little rack and that's what he wore. And he didn't care. It was like, he wore it until the battery died and he threw it away and he went and he bought another one. He was, Do you encourage yes, well, your yeah. children to wear yeah. watches? Do I encourage them? Oh my God, my son. So <laughs> I, my son, my, my daughter, I do encourage my son. I never had to, I, I gifted oh. my son. I remember reaching out to Craniotes and saying, cause I knew he was a big G-Shock guy. And I think it was my son's 11th birthday. And I said, so my son will be 17 next month. And I said, I want to get him his first G-Shock. What do you recommend? You know, something around like the $100 range, whatever. So Craniotti sent me a link and he said, this is a good one. This is what I got. His son and my son are about the same age and our daughters are close in age. He was like, this is the one I got, Paul. But so I went online, I ordered it. I gave it to my son. That was his first G-Shock. At this point in time, he owns five G-Shocks, two which are limited editions that I got from London. So he owns- Like the gold one? The Rubik's Cube G, uh, no, not the Rubik's Cube. It was the uh, collaboration they did with Rubik's because my son's a big Rubik's Cube fan too. That you could only buy at the London G Shock boutique. So I had a buddy in London get it for me, and when I was in London, like he, you know, he brought it to me when I was there, which was great. And then I was in the London boutique. Oh, he could do it in seconds. He's 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 uh he learned the algorithms. My son can. Right. He's one of those kids that solves right. Rubik's cubes in like a crazy sick amount of time. It's like crazy. We got an A six one, which is also limited edition, just from the London boutique, which I had signed by eBay himself. He was there. The the guy who started G Shock. He was there. So my son's watch was signed. Then I got him a couple others. Then we went to a Sinatra. We went to the Boulevard Sinatra was his next one. That was oh, his first. Oh, no oh. kidding. We didn't know that. Well, because I, it was mine and he was so obsessed with it that he was, I said, you know what? He didn't have a mechanical timepiece. So I, I gifted it to him. So he, and he wears it regularly. He loves it. Wow. Then uh, Eric wins the Seiko five by rowing blazers. Um, all three of my children have, I have all three of my children. <laughs> I, I clearly just created another child in my mind. No. <laughs> all three of us. Although I do have a dog, so I guess that's three, but he doesn't have a watch yet. Yeah. Uh, all three of us have the Seiko fives. My daughter has one. My son has one, and I have one. I have one. So he too. wears that. <laughs> and the, I love. The, I know they're amazing. They're amazing. My son has the orange. My daughter has the green, and I have the black with the colorful flag. Which the one do you have? Blue. Oh, which? Oh my God! You have the fourth one. That's I have it. The, the only one. Love that. And so I was just in Geneva, and I picked them up each. My son and my daughter, and gave it. Gave, for Easter, uh, I gave them each uh, a moon swatch. So oh. my daughter is the sun, and my son got the Jupiter, which they had restocked the Geneva stores, the swatch stores, with the the moon swatches. So I gave them each, and he wore it today, and he posted it on Instagram today and said, thanks, what's on her wrist? Like, not thanks, mom. He was like, thanks, what's on her wrist? Uh, no, no, yeah, he's so, working so, for the brand. He's working yeah. for the brand. Well, we think about the history of watches and, you know, where they came from. You have diving watches, you have aviator watches, you have all these different things, and, and the things that watch consumers wanted out of things, multiple time zones, or these, these sort of functional pieces. When you see this new generation coming in and and getting into watches for the first time, what are the things they're looking for? Are there unique aspects that they're looking for in watches that we should be looking for in the next 10, 20 years? I, 
Uh, okay, so I think again, if we if we compartmentalize the new generation, if we generalize who they are, then that's I don't want to do that because, like me, and and using the the uh, analogy of my lovers over my lifetime, the new generation, they everybody wants something different because the new generation is, again, I mean they're they're short hair and long hair and and where men are wearing pearls and men are not wearing pearls and and they're right and they're left and they're so they're their own people, um, you know, and I think anymore, it's tough to just write an article and David can probably agree with me here that says like, what Gen Z is interested in, you really kind of can't because mm. they are, the whole thing about Gen Z is that they don't want to be compartmentalized and they don't, they don't want to just go, right. okay, we we're into poodle, we're the 1950s and we were poodle starts. Right. They're like, no, we're like, we don't even, we're like, not, we're just like, we're fluid on everything. So that's what I think generally, if I had to generalize, I would, I would say you have some of the younger folks who are interested in what celebrities are wearing, but then you also have a lot of the younger folks who are into micro brands mm. who are like, I want something that's so unique. That's so not what anybody else is sure. wearing that has a story that's been started by a person my age who looks like right. me. <laughs> that's go. what I like. This is why the Wind Up Watch Fair is doing so well in New York. And I'm actually going to go visit the San Francisco one for the first time because I'm enthralled. I mean, I, I own a Hyam. I have the, I have the Formex. I have, I want to get a studio underdog. I'm up, I'm 50 and I'm obsessed with microbrands right now. And I go there and it's like, there were thousands of people at the wind up watch fair in October, this in 2022. And these, these, these were young people. These were young people who were listening to people their age who had started Furlan Mari. Oh my God. This, this, he's like in his twenties. This yeah. guy's young and he's yeah. won the GP. He's won a GPHG. Like yeah. these are, these are, I thought you know, he was, the, are, I thought he was the intern when I walked up to that booth. <laughs> I, I honest to God introduced myself and said, I'd like to meet the head of the company. We're talking about Andrea. Furlan Mari. And I guess we should also sweetest. tell people listening that what the wind up watch fair is, if you don't know what that is, is a gathering of companies and it's a thousand dollars and under. Is that basically the rule or is there no rule? It just well, no, because, tend- because Oris is there. So Oris goes there and there are some, some slightly, you know, mid, I'll say mid-level brands. So let's uh-huh. say mid-level brands, right? You know, Oris is there. Maurice Lacroix is there. So that there are brands absolutely that are selling watches that are over a thousand dollars, but they're largely independent brands. So that's the thing. It's like, it's like independent brands. They're not part of a big conglomerate and it's reasonably priced. Uh, but then a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of the brands are selling. I mean, the for, this Formex is $1,700. So this was this, this one, they only make a hundred of the Malachite dial per year. So it's roughly 1700 plus on, on Formex's website. So it's not, it's not a thousand or under. But it's uh, but it is still, I think, what we as watch people potentially would consider today to be like really reasonably priced, yeah, value priced, accessible to to the layperson, to even the person, to even the Gen Zer who's up and coming. It's like you know what, if it's going to be the watch I wear for a long time, like for the next five years until I graduate to an Oris or graduate from an Oris to a Breitling or graduate from a Breitling to you know or whatever. It's it's a brand that I think is reasonably priced for them. The fourteen fifteen hundred dollar range, or the like you said, like again, Citizen and Boulevard. Those are all great watches to to be starter. I like to refer to them as starter watches. A Seiko Five, a great starter watch for five hundred dollars. I always recommend those 
to, to people who are like, I want to get into watches, but I can't fathom sinking five, $10,000 into a watch. I'm like, start here. And then you just, you graduate. It's like with anything else, you just, you know, your cars were always like a Pinto, like for me. And then eventually you get up to, well, I only have a Mazda at this point, but I'm hoping to graduate someday to a Jaguar. So, you know, (laughs) I still, I still have time and more ex-husbands to have. So I'm hoping to get to that, to get to that timeline. Yes, exactly. Barbara Palumbo has her, her finger on the pulse of what's happening in watches because that's where her wrist is. What's on her wrist? Follow her, uh, in social and, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. On the Oh, thanks, show. guys. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I love the show. I love the guests that you've had on. I know we don't, I know this is a show you like to talk about lifestyle and other things. And and there's not a whole, even though it's the Actron show, you don't talk about watches a ton. So thanks for allowing me to kind of uh, wax poetic. I think, no, it was about, our pleasure. And thank about you for the history. watches and lovers. So yeah, <laughs> thanks. That's, that's going to be my next podcast, Watches and Lovers. Watches and Lovers. <laughs> All right. To give Accutron a a run for their money. Thank you very much. (laughs) See you so much, Barbara. Thank you for listening to the Accutron Show. To listen to all of our shows, visit AccutronWatch.com. To learn more about the world of Accutron, follow us on Instagram at Accutron Watch and subscribe to our podcast. From New York City, until next time, Accutron Time.